Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, and then jumping to 36 uh, through 39. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, the child was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the, for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to Joseph, Mary, and the child, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So uh, the scripture uh, opens up, uh, it, in seminary they called it a pericope. A pericope is a, a, uh, a teaching segment of scripture. And, uh, the, and I'm talking about just literary structure here. It begins with uh, Mary and Joseph and bringing Jesus into the temple, into Je to Jerusalem, and the book ends. It's bookend. At the other end, they're, they're leaving Jerusalem. So entering in and leaving out. And, and packed between these two bookends are actually two stories of two prophets. Uh, one prophet is named Simeon. Um, and for simplicity's sake, I took that, that story out. Uh, and then the second uh, prophet is Anna, who we will be focusing on this morning. And uh, one of the things I want to highlight about this scripture uh, it, that's, uh, well, particularly unique to Luke is uh, Luke's, uh, throughout his gospel, it has a lot of specific details. And in what we read this morning, uh, just now, uh, there are these details um, the prophet Anna, daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher, these details. She had been married for 70 years. She was 84. There's just a lot of these little details. Uh, and th it's these types of details in the, in the Gospel of Luke that um, contribute to the, histori the historicity, the historical value uh, of, of Luke. Um, why do I say that? What, what does that mean? When the, when the gospel of Luke had actually been, you know, gone from, from oral tradition, stories people were telling, to written on paper, and Luke is uh, the historian who goes through and interviewed many people to bring his gospel together, um, there would have been people who had still been alive. Um, now, by the time it had been actually written and the scripture uh, was uh, passed around from uh, faith community from, to faith community, um, it would probably be that Anna had passed away. However, there would have been people still alive who may have known Anna. Remember that old lady who was at the temple night and day? There may have been other people who had known her father, Penuel. There were other people who were the part of the tribe of Asher, 
And like, oh yeah, we remember Penuel. Oh yeah, her daughter, his daughter. Oh yeah, they would have remembered these things, these details, these, so, oh yeah, she, she had been married seven years and then was a widow. I mean, they would have known these details. She was a specific person and these details, would, people would have known this and it adds to the historical validity of um, Luke's gospel. Having said all that, let's pray. Uh, loving God, as we turn our attention to this scripture this morning uh, in this new year, uh, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would um, inspire us, that Anna's example would be an, uh, an inspiration to all of us this morning. Um, so may your word transform our lives. May the words of my mouth and the thought, our thoughts and meditations be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So what are you looking forward to in this new year? Can you think of one thing? What are you looking forward to? I'm going to narrow it down. What are you looking forward to in the next month? Or what are you looking forward to in the next week? Uh, looking forward to things. Maybe you're looking forward to a new job. Or maybe you're looking forward to a pay raise. Um, some of you are uh, into Marvel movies. And, uh, you know, if you're into Marvel movies, it seems like every fan of Marvel movies is always looking forward to the next movie that's going to come out. You're already talking about it. At the end of the last Marvel movie, after the credits, there was that one scene that was a teaser for the next movie. And, and you're always excited about the next Marvel movie. So maybe that's what you're looking forward to. My family is looking forward to Disneyland. And that's happening tomorrow. They're showing a picture. And, you know, this is kind of, I, when I thought of looking forward to Disneyland, uh, this was kind of what I was thinking of. Like, you know how you're, I, I don't know where these people are. This is Norman Rockwell. It's called Coming and Going. It was painted, I think, in 1947 or 37. I'm going to look at my notes. It's 47. And like, you know, you go, you're heading to the beach or you're going to Disneyland and you're so excited. And then on the way back, you're just tired. Of, uh. Anyway, so that was the picture that came to mind when I was thinking about my family going to Disneyland and they're going tomorrow. And I started reflecting to what, how excited I used to be going to Disneyland as a child. My, um, you know, especially the first time I went, we're going to Disneyland. And I was like, we're going to Disneyland. I'm like, I don't even know what Disneyland is. And my mom was like, you got to go to bed early because we're going to be getting up early. And I'm like, I have to go to bed early for something so exciting. And I remember waking up in the horizon, you know, the sun hadn't come over the horizon yet. And I was like, I don't think I've ever been awake this early before because Jonathan, it's going to be a long drive. And as a child, you don't know what a long drive. I mean, is it, you know, anything more than 10 minutes is a long drive. And, and, and she, my mom would always make, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for me. And we got into the car and I had a blanket and we're driving down these freeways that I, you know, I'm looking out the window eating my, where are we? The Disneyland's going to be awesome. And what is it? And I mean, we've all had this experience. You get to Disneyland and the first moment that just really gets you going is when you get into the line to park and you're like, we're in the line now to park. And it's like, all these other people are going to the same place we're going to, and it's going to be awesome. And then you get out of your car and there's a smell. I think it's a Disney smell, but it's like, it smells like Disney and, and it just smells different. And then the first ride, which is so exciting, especially when you're a little kid, is you, the second line you get into is the line for the parking lot tram. And then you get on the tram and you're like, this is so awesome. We're on a tram and you're like going through a parking lot. Anyways, these are the memories I have as a child of being excited about Disneyland. What are you excited about? 
in the coming year, in the coming month, in the coming week. And I don't want to downplay any of those things that we are excited about because uh, when we find those little joys, we need to celebrate them. However, we're excited about a movie. You know what Anna was excited about? The prophet Anna was excited about the redemption of Jerusalem. I'm excited about going to Disneyland, and she's excited about the redemption of Jerusalem. What does that mean? It's so altruistic. What does it mean? Well, in the historical context, 2,000 years ago-ish, the redemption of Jerusalem would have been a political sentiment. Right, the, the, the glory of the nation of Israel would have been King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. It was the one time that the nation of Israel uh, in the ancient world had a, an independent state, an independent country. And then came the Assyrians, and then came the Babylonians, and then came the Greeks, and then came the Romans. And every time these empires came in, they created some a sort of puppet government, never an independent nation from that point on. And so here's Anna 2,000 years ago, and she is looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem when the, David, the Davidic line would be restored. The Messiah would come. So, The redemption of Jerusalem was something Anna believed in, an ideal that she literally devoted her life to, and her devotion is admirable. And let me tell you why. So if you're paying attention to your outlines in your your bulletins, or if you're following along in the Bible app, number one, Anna was a waiting widow. She was a waiting widow. And when I say waiting, uh, I just was using a, a word that started with W, but really what I mean is that she was patient and she was persevering. 84 years old, never lost hope, persevered in this ideal that had been set on her heart by God. That's why she's a prophet. And I think it's fair to assume, now we don't have a lot of, we have some details about her life, but we don't have a lot of details about her life. And so we can use our imagination up to an extent, and otherwise we have to dig into the details that we have. And I think it is fair to assume that Anna had had her share of sorrow. She, uh, what we know traditionally is that she would have been married young. Uh, She would have probably been a teenager when she was married. And she had been married for seven years. And then she was widowed. So, we can perhaps imagine that she had known love and that she had lost love. What our scripture does not tell us, but it is safe to assume that she didn't have children. Because if she had had children, um, and and for many of us, we were uh, here in November when Pastor John was preaching on, um, on the book of Ruth. And what we learned in Ruth, right, is when women lost their husbands, uh, in the ancient world, their economic standing was was rooted to the men in their lives. And so if she had, Anna, had lost her husband, and like Ruth, uh, there would have been um, some economic insecurity in that. And if she had had family, 
if she had had children, those children would have been taking care of her. But what we do find in today's scripture is that she's at the temple. So she would have known some hardship in her life, some sorrow. And yet, what we see, right, is that she didn't cave in to bitterness or regret. She didn't give in to sorrow and depression. Because if she had, she probably would not have been uh, recorded in Scripture as, someone, as a hero and as an example of faith. One day, there were two monks, uh, and they were traveling through the countryside. They were traveling from one village to another. And as they were walking, there was a river uh, that was going across the road that they were traveling on. And on, at the river, they saw a, a, an old uh, lady who was very upset. Uh, she didn't feel safe crossing the river. Uh, so the two monks uh, approached her, and the first monk asked her, do you want us to, to help you get across the river? And of course, she was overjoyed to see them and, and thank them uh, and said, yes, please. And so the two monks uh, picked her up, and they carried her across the river and placed her down, and she was so thankful. And uh, she, she headed on her way. And from that point, the two monks continued on their way as well. And about a, month, uh, a mile down the road, the second monk just started complaining. He's like, oh, my back is hurting. I go, he, he said to the, the first monk, you know, you, you, you made us carry that old lady across the river, and now, you know, my, I'm muddy and wet and cold. And the first monk just nodded his head, continued walking, uh, you know, a couple more miles down the road. And then the, the second monk just started complaining again, my back is hurting. I'm still cold from the water. And he just sat down by the side of the road. And the first monk looked at him and he said, you know why I'm not complaining? Because I put the old lady down miles ago and you've never put her down. I think sometimes it's human nature to hold on to the sorrows. It's uh, human nature to, to kind of play the victim and, and literally kind of nurture and baby all of the terrible things that have happened in our lives, and we hold them close and hold them to our heart. And it seeds and perpetuates a bitterness within us, and we become resentful. We become resentful to others. We start questioning God. Why did this happen to me? And what's admirable about Anna is that she did not do that. She did not cave in to sorrow or despair. She didn't nurse her sorrow or despair. Instead, she actually nurtured and fostered hope. How do we know this? How do we know that Anna fostered hope? First off, she's a model of persevering, uh, and persevering faith and, and patience, right? She didn't wait just a day or a week or a month, or a year, she literally waited and persevered for decades. Let me frame this another way. I was talking about going to Disneyland. Imagine that little child, and, remember, and, 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 and getting up for Disneyland only to find out that mom and dad tells that little child, you know what, turns out that something, something has come up and we can't go to Disneyland today. But we'll go. We promise you, we'll go next weekend. Okay, so that little child goes to school that week, 
And how was Disneyland? All the kids ask, how was Disneyland? Did you go to Disneyland? How was it? And he's like, well, something came up. And, uh, but but we're, we're going to go on Saturday. We're going to go on Saturday. Okay. So Saturday comes and it turns out mom and dad say, you know what? We can't go. This thing that's come up has some financial consequences. You know what? We're, gonna, we're not going to go, but we're going to go next month. Okay, so the child goes back to school on Monday. How was Disneyland? How was Disneyland? And it's like, well, we didn't go. And my mom and dad told me something, but I really don't understand what's going on. Well, how long is that child going to hold on to going to Disneyland? At some point, that child's just going to let it go. I don't think we're going to go to Disneyland. It's not going to happen. But think about Anna. Anna. Like her, she's persevering. She's long-standing hope and faith in what God had convicted her of. This redemption of Jerusalem, placed on her heart by God. That's why she's called a prophet. Now, you know, because of her patience and because of her endurance. I mean, it's because of these things and her, her deep-seated faith in the hope that had been placed in her heart, I mean, that she held on so long. Anna nurtured hope, which begs the question, how did she do that? How did she do it? Well, we're told, point number two on our outline this morning, Anna worshiped. Anna worshiped. Verse 37, again, Anna never left the temple but worshiped night and day. Anna never left the temple, but worshiped night and day. Now, uh, I, <laughs> we come to church, uh, you're, you're all here, uh, and maybe you've been part of other faith communities as well. There's always just that core people, like no matter what event is going on at the church, they're there. And uh, I, I, gotta, I gotta do this. God bless you, Grace Hughes. <laughs> Grace Hughes in the life of this church is our Anna. Like, Grace has been here when the church was started, and she's here all the time. God bless you. She is my contemporary model. Yeah, let's, let's applaud. God bless you. Love you so much. So I was reading about Anna, and I kept thinking about Grace. And so God bless you. Um, but there's people like that in every church. There's an Anna uh, in every church, that core group of people like, whatever's going on, we're cleaning out the closets and they're there and we're there for worship and whatever it is, they're there. Now, for some people, and, and I, I do want to say, and I, just for the sake of a academics here, that there are some commentators who uh, literally feel when it says that she was there night and day, will try to argue the point that she somehow, they, they put a room aside for Anna and she lived there. Don't know about that. This could be hyperbole in the same way that we're, we say, oh, they're there all the time. Well, we don't really mean they're there all the time. We mean that they're there a lot. <laughs> um, so, so is it hyperbole? Does she live there? Academics argue this point, and I think it's a minor point. This was a, a core person in the life of the temple life and the worship there. So, and for some people, worshiping God comes naturally. For some people, uh, worshiping God can be authentic and genuine. And uh, as a Christian, since I was in junior high, I've been to a lot of worship services in a lot of different contexts. And, and I hope you can identify with this. There are times when 
I'm in church and there's someone off to my left or my right or in front of me. And uh, sometimes it feels showy and I get a little uncomfortable, going to be honest with you. But there's other times where I just sense this person is into it and it is authentic and, and it isn't off-putting to me. It's just so authentic and, and so real. And, and God bless them, right? Uh, for some people, worshiping God comes naturally. And for others, not so much. I mean, worship. What are we doing? And I started to grapple with this question in preparation for today's message. And as a pastor, you would think that what I would do is I would turn to respected theologians from throughout the ages of Christian faith and, and, and see what they've written about worship and look for inspiration with them. And as I prayerfully considered how we worship, I found myself instead contemplating, of all things, Broadway musicals. I know one person who absolutely hates Broadway musicals. She would say, why do you hate Broadway musicals? And she says, it's so um, unauthentic. Like, who walks down the street in conversation with someone and then starts singing a song? Like, she, she said, no one does that. So she watches Broadway music and she thinks it's ridiculous. And then there's another person I know. He, on the other hand, grew to respect and really enjoy Broadway musicals. And, you know, this is, I'm like, well, what is it about you? Why do you, why, what happened? And he goes, yeah, I was kind of like thinking it was kind of ridiculous. But then I began to understand the genre of musicals and this idea where characters, when they break into song, are sometimes breaking into song uh, continues the, the plot line, but other times what's happening when they break into song is they're communicating the joy, a, a certain emotion. So they're, they're, they're singing about a new love that they've never experienced before. And, and nearly talking about it doesn't express the fullness of that emotion or their heart is broken and they're singing a sad song, whatever it might be. The singing, um, gives us a window into the character and what they're experiencing internally. In other words, what cannot be expressed with mere words, because at that point, words fall short, what cannot be expressed with mere words can somehow be expressed through music and through song. And I, so I started thinking about music and singing, and, and I started, well, my, here we go. Ready? Take the ride with Pastor Jonathan. First off, I started thinking about just like thousands of years ago, were humans like in caves and they're grunting to each other. And at some point they walk out of the cave and they go, they can grunt or they can be like tree, sky, flower, democracy. Like at some point, did they just start putting words to things, not just things, but ideas? And at some point in evolution, did then humanity start going, tree, sky, flower, democracy? You know, like, how did that happen? Or, and this is what I started thinking about, what if we were created to sing? And then I started talking about, uh, thinking about physiology. And I started thinking, why is it that when you hear a song in whatever genre you like, you start tapping your foot, you start bobbing your head? Rhythm. 
so hardwired into us? Why is rhythm hardwired into us? And I started thinking about because it's in our heart. Our heart literally, we are just wired for rhythm. Have you ever stopped to consider people talk and people sing? And I started thinking of a, of a word, and that word is hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord, if you didn't know. So many songs, hallelujah. And we could be walking out into the parking lot after this service, and one of you might share with me, you know what? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Last week, my granddaughter was born. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You can say it, but as a grandfather or grandmother of the first time, your heart might be exploding about the joy that you're experiencing. You could say hallelujah or... Like you can say it and you can sing it. So when we worship and specifically when we're singing, I submit to you that that's what we're doing. We're expressing something from deep within us and we're lifting it up and we're lifting it up as, as, as an honor to God. And we're not doing it just with mere words, but we're doing it with music and we're doing it with singing. And all of us can sing in our showers and all of us can sing in the car. But what is unique to this and how much more powerful is it that we set aside a day and we set aside an hour and we come together and we do it together. We're worshiping God and in so doing, we're supporting one another as a community or as a hallelujah chorus. We're encouraging one another just by being here. And I cannot help but believe that Anna's participation in worship was the key. Was the key night and day at the temple of Jerusalem. She was strengthened. She was encouraged. And her worship solidified her faith and solidified her hope in God. So much so that she persevered literally for decades. As a child, when your parents say, I guess we're not going to Disneyland, we start to lose hope. It's never going to happen. And yet she persisted for decades until it culminated with the blessing of the witnessing of the Christ child at the temple. She witnessed it which all too easily leads me to the third point of today's message. And that is number three, Anna witnessed. Verse 38, coming up to Joseph, Mary, and the child, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. That's an element of worship. And spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, she couldn't stop talking about it. For decades, she had been waiting for this moment, and God placed on her heart, that's the child. That's the Savior. That's the Messiah. You've been waiting for it, and I have blessed you by seeing it. And she couldn't, she couldn't hold it back. 
Everybody come into the temple. Did you see the child? They're, they're walking down the road. They're leaving. Go, go kiss the child on the, on the head. It, that's the savior. Good news travels fast. Now, the story I'm about to tell you does in no way relate, but I think the energy of the story does. And that is this. <laughs> when my son and I drive around together uh, with no one else in the car, he, he's, got, he's like, Dad, I've got some new music for you. And when we're together, what we've, we started this thing where he samples the new music that he's listening to with me and shares it with me. And it, it, I'm look, doing this. <laughs> he plugs in his phone and he's on Spotify. So he's going through a list of songs. And what happens is like, I can really quickly go, yes, no, thumbs up, thumbs down. Let's hear more, you know? So he plays a song and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not into it. Okay. And then he goes to the next one. And seven weeks ago, he played a band. And I'm only going to say the name once. And it's no, the band is no pressure. Okay. Now, what happened was he plays this, this song. And within 30 seconds of the song, I'm like, oh, it just resonated with me. It, the, it's just all the things that I like in music, vocally, sound, everything I'm hearing. I was already bopping. I knew this band, even though I had never heard it before. 30 seconds. I went, oh, that's good. Play another one by the same band. And he did. Plays the next one. 15 seconds. I'm like, okay, confirmed. I really like this band. Third song. Oh, yeah. 15 seconds of that song. I'm like, this is the band. And I haven't been, li I've been listen I haven't listened to anything else except this band for the last seven weeks. Now, I, right. So now I'm thinking, who are the people in my life that like the same kind of music I do? And who do I need to tell about this band? And I told Andy Thompson after <laughs> I told Michael, I told, I mean, I started telling people, I texted my friends up in Ohio. I'm like, you got to check out this band. I, I can't stop listening to them. I have a friend in Sacramento. A couple weeks later, I'm like, oh, they like this kind of music. I text him, good news travels fast. We can't help ourselves. When we're excited about something, we want to share it with others. Anna could not stop talking about it. She had witnessed the child that was to become the savior of the world. And I just want to highlight that witnessing something and sharing the good news is not the same thing as mm, turn and burn conversations. It's not the same thing as rubbing people's sin in and putting them down. Witnessing the good news of what God is doing in the world is just good news. And I just want to take the time to just highlight a couple things. One is, on a very broad scale, I know a woman in this area, her name is Nita Hansen. And she's been on my heart right lately, and I'll, you'll understand in a moment. But about 20 years ago, Nita Hansen went to Ukraine. And uh, she, her story, so I'm sharing with you the good news of her own story. And she went to Ukraine on a mission trip, and uh, she experienced where, the warehousing of a lot of orphaned children. And she came back to Thousand Oaks. She lives a good life. She's married. But she couldn't get those children off of her heart. And her life was transformed in that moment. She goes, I can't just walk away from that. And she started um, a ministry. Uh, and since 20 years ago, she went on one trip. And since then, uh, it's called God's Hidden Treasures. And she's been working in Ukraine with uh, these orphans and, and making relationships and providing for those who are physically handicapped in Ukraine. Now, meanwhile, right, in recent months this year, this past year, this war has started. And, my, and so I think she's just been on my heart because of all that and what she's experiencing now as her heart is broken and she knows people, it's not just news, it's for her real people and lives being affected. But 
I'm not trying to bring you down. What I'm trying to say is that God's power in her life transformed her life to, to do something very meaningful for a, a community of people on the other side of the world who were in need and in need of help. Um, but right here in the life of this church, there are people, uh, a couple weeks ago, we baptized a woman and her story is amazing. It's a life, lives of transformation. Her story uh, is, and she was here last night, man, that for, for 20 years, she was deeply involved in the occult. And her daughter's been praying for her for, for 12 years. And she was gardening. And something just convicted her heart while she was gardening in her backyard. And for three days, she went inside and she, pulled, she dusted off a Bible that was given to her as a child. And for three days, she was feeling convinced that she needed to follow God. And since then, she's been getting rid and throwing out all of her occult stuff. And several weeks ago, she was baptized and became a member of this church. A life transformed. And that's good news. She was off track and she's on track and feeling empowered and blessed by that. And there are people in the life of this church who struggled with addictions, and part of their sobriety and journey to sobriety is because of how God has given them strength and a community of support in this place to find sobriety. Lives transformed. It's good news. Anna witnessed. She just witnessed to good news. And the thing about just sharing our stories, like some of the ones I just shared, is that they're just stories. Critics aren't going to argue with a person's story. Perhaps you have a story to witness to. And in the right time, in the right moment, you're going to feel convicted to share your story with someone. And you don't know how that story may actually influence someone towards a life of transformation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Number four, what about us? What about us? Anna is a positive role model for you and I. And we, you know, in our secular culture, the coming of a new year, we, we start contemplating, you know, we look back and think about the past year and it's a time of contemplation and we think of the new year and we, we perhaps make certain goals and resolutions. And I'm encouraging us to look at Anna as a model for perhaps some of our own resolutions. Perhaps we've been losing patience, losing our strength and perseverance. Perhaps we've been losing hope. And we can look to Anna as, um, as, as inspiration, longstanding hope and perseverance, and recognizing that that was rooted in her faith and in her worship. And perhaps your enthusiasm for worship has been lacking. And your faith has been kind of uh, affected by that as well. So maybe your resolution is recognizing the beauty, truly the beauty it is to gather with others. And by just being here together, we are encouraging each other and bolstering each other's faith. Or perhaps it's Anna's witnessing and and maybe uh, better understanding what it means to simply share our stories with others, recognizing that our stories may influence them and point them towards and invite them into the presence of God. Not condemning, not rubbing people's sin in, but rubbing them out and welcoming them to the good news that is the love of God through Jesus Christ.
How might Anna's example influence your news, New Year's resolution? Let's pray. Loving God, thank you. Um, today, as we've dove into this story and looked at Anna's example, thank you. Uh, as an inspiration, and uh, as I celebrated today, perhaps there are people in our lives that we can celebrate as well, um, who have been faithful examples of what it means to follow you, and so we thank you for them as well, and pray uh, that you would transform us, continue to be at work in us, that as we grow closer to you, we might serve as examples to others of perseverance and hope and and be witnesses of your love and good news we pray these things in your son's name jesus christ amen
cross as you wait for a crown. Tell 